Welcome to the Social Propertypreneur Podcast. And here is your host, social media queen, property investor, and entrepreneur, Laura Muse. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Social Propertypreneur Podcast with me, Laura Muse. And today, um, I've got a very special guest who I'm privileged to become friends with over the last 24 months. He is a multiple business owner, a property investor. He's an SME consultant. He is a doting dad and dad and husband. <laughs> Completely lost my train of thought. Um, and he's also a mentor. If that's not enough, he also is a pretty good skier. So I would like to introduce my friend and the fabulous Mr. Stephen Pardue. Hi. Thank you for that uh, very warm introduction. I'm not sure about right? the skiing part, I must add. <laughs> Skiing's not quite there yet. <laughs> well, you were just like, husband. The word just completely just escaped me. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> so, Steve, um, people who don't know you, do you mind just sharing a little bit about you, how your property journey so far, how you got into it, um, and obviously you burst out in the Middle East and how that kind of came around? Yes, yeah. We, well... I suppose without going into too much detail, back I've, I've owned my own business um, or been self-employed for near on 18 years now. So pre all of that, uh, believe it or not, I was actually a sales rep for a medical company. So I used to sell surgical instruments. So um, that's what got me into sales and recruitment before that. And then I started up my own business back in the UK in sort of 2005, which was natural stone, actually. So <laughs> granite, marble. Used to visit China back in the day before Alibaba and uh, Amazon, and used to visit <laughs> India as well. Used to import all the stone into England, and that led into like granite worktops, marble worktops. We also did tiles back then. That led into cutting it and installing it for people. That led into kitchens. That led into interiors. Um, and then over the time, that led into also a business in the Middle East where we represent German brands, and they're again interior related, kitchen wise, furniture wise. And then in the background, I'd always, uh, I hate the word accidental landlord because you're not, but I, I owned a couple of buy-to-let properties, but it wasn't, really, it wasn't really a journey or a professional limited company or, or a planned job. Had that in the background. And then probably 2015-ish, yeah. really started looking into property a bit more, started doing a bit more research, went on a few more training courses, got myself educated a little bit more as well. And then really that's where it started as a, uh, I suppose we looked at property as a business really more than just property. So we set up a limited company at that point. And from then onwards, everything's been bought as a limited company. And um, yeah, back in the day there, we had a business, myself and my business partner in Domo Developments, Adam Huzzy. We're fortunate enough, I suppose, to to do one day a week uh, up in our area and one day viewing out of the office, which didn't affect our day-to-day job, which I know a lot of people have maybe time-bound issues with which we didn't which was lucky and um yeah we've just built it up from there to be honest and uh, it's, it's grown since then so what type of properties do you buy whereabouts because you don't you don't invest where you live do you like i do no well we we do but not in all our strategies so so i live down in berkshire in the uk so near windsor area but we don't yeah we don't predominantly invest there there, if we do anything, it would be high-end flips. It doesn't really work number-wise for single lets and things like that. Um, so our, our actual sort of goldmine area, as it was, if I use that phrase, is up west of Birmingham. So we do a lot of work in Dudley, Edge of Wolverhampton, uh, DY postcodes, WB postcodes. And um, 
that we have a mixture really. Single lets was where we sort of cut our teeth and we still buy single lets to this day. So two two bed. Love bed a single let. <laughs> I, love, I love single lets. Everyone should love single lets. I think anyone I've ever met in the in property that is way ahead of me or 20 years above me, their backbone is always single lets no matter how big they're doing. So yeah, I think uh, that, that's wise from a learning point of view and you can make mistakes without getting too burned. And um, long term, to be honest, our, our strategy is always to hold everything. So yeah. single lets, even if you make a slight mistake or your numbers don't quite hit where you want them to be in 20 years time, you've, you, it's, it's compensated. So, yeah, we still got single lets. We do HMOs. We have, yeah, random sizes. Our biggest is 15 bed HMO. Our smallest is five. We seem wow. to like five to six beds seems to work best for us in our area. And we also have some commercial units. So we have quite a few retail shops. We like flats above them or yeah. behind them, depending where they are. And um, we have a couple of serviced office blocks as well, which we've bought recently. So quite a mix now. We've sort of taken it up a level every every year, I suppose, in terms of value and money and, and outlay, I suppose. Can you tell me a little bit about how you scaled so quickly? I mean, a lot of people who are just starting out in property can have... So we had a little bit of money to start. Have you used all your own money? Have you used investor finance? And how did you go about doing that? Because you bought a lot in a very short period of time. Yes, yes. We, we, did, we did have some of our own money to start 100%. We still use some of our own money to this day. We still use a lot of investors' money, um, and that has always been a strategy of ours. So, yeah, we, give, we, we work with investors both yeah, abroad and in the UK. I think probably, probably one of the quickest things we did with scaling up was just really focusing. So we, we didn't really deviate from a plan, and we were very, very dead set on a plan. We nailed down. We spent a lot of time focusing on our, our sort of area, as such did a lot of statistics unemployment employment housing market there rental market um yields what the house prices were we did a lot of research nailed down our area i think actually back then myself and adam even booked into a hotel for about 10 days and, and literally walked the streets because <laughs> there's uh <laughs> there, there's a lot you can see when you walk the street and there's a few streets that we thought was going to be our our little golden patch and actually when you walk them you realize that it's probably not our golden patch <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was a good tip i think as well someone recommended that to me and we did that as well so um and then yeah i think we just we were very like almost laser laser guided on what we were doing we we went the same day every single week to our area to see the same agents so we picked we, initially we saw a good 20 30 agents and we narrowed that down to about seven or eight that we knew were quite good and we saw the same people week in, week out for at least 18 months, I, I would say. So, wow. and that, yeah. Because a lot of people don't do that, do they? Um, they're not fancy no, by doing that. I think, I think, I think you, need, you need to really create credibility. And especially, I mean, there's always a joke about walking into estate agents when everyone walks in and says, oh, I'm a property investor, give me all your cheap property. And, <laughs> And especially with someone like myself, if you go to the Midlands with a Southern accent, they, they, they've, heard, <laughs> they've heard 25 people a week walk in and say they're a property investor from London. So, you, you, yeah, you need to break those barriers down, really. And we used to, we used to use that as a bit of a, a joke. We'd actually walk in and say, yeah, I'm from the South. Yeah, I don't have a Midlands accent. Yeah, I'm a property investor. Yes, I've got millions of pounds. Yes, I'm not. <laughs> and normally that would break the ice, but... It did, yeah, it was really consistency, to be honest, and a focus. So once we we picked the same day, like I said, every week, we let the agents know we were there every week. We'd see five to ten properties if we could. 
um, that day, sort of one day and overnight, maybe in the morning, because we'd stay up there overnight. Um, was it? It's not too far from where we live. It's about an hour and a half, but it was still, if you've done eight or nine viewings in a day, it's a long day. Um, and yeah, we just, it, it was really all about relationships, to be fair. The agents to this day are still people we get a lot of work for. Most of our deals still come through the agents um, and off plan stuff that's not even come on the market yet. Um, and it was really just, I think also we paid for good advice back then. We used good tradespeople. Um, we didn't cheap out on that. We used good brokers. Didn't cheap out on that. We, we used good accountants, very expensive accountants, and, and set up a good structure. And that, all of that really does help you scale up once you get going. And I think the other key critical point is, is doing what you say you do. It's, it sounds so basic, but once we actually had a deal and, yeah, we said to an agent, we're going to, we've, we've sort of sold ourselves for 10 months and then a deal happens, you, you've got to do it, whatever. And that's still to this day, even if, even if something's not going to 100% work for us, if we've committed, it's tough, we're going through with it and we'll deal with it after because the credibility is, is key really with those deals. Do you think that comes from your sales background? Because I'm, I'm obviously, no, I'm only asking because in my background, I am, I used to be a sales rep and area manager. And that was one of the things that my customers said, I hate when people don't follow through on what they say they're going to do. Um, yeah. And obviously when you don't, there's no point really going back because you've lost that customer. Do you think that's part of it? Or 100%. I think, I think both from a sales background and, and also just running businesses in general, that's always been my, my sort of, ethos i suppose in terms of staff and our, our business in general is just we, we commit to what we're doing and we do it well and I, I don't think that matters whether you're buying property or selling surgical instruments or, yeah. or or whatever you're selling i think that if you follow through on what you say you're going to do and you do what you're going to do that's that, that, always going to stand you in good stead so obviously you spend a lot of time in the middle east how does that affect your um, property portfolio um, and management obviously your properties in the uk you're currently in the Middle East. How does that work? Yeah, we well, luckily, I suppose to a certain extent, I've got a business partner that's based in the UK full time. Um, I'm actually moving back to the UK full time in July, actually this year with my family. Um, but in general, I, I travel a lot. I travel probably back to the UK every month anyway. So I'm there for a good week or two weeks every month. And I suppose a lot of, a lot of what we set up can be done remotely. We, a lot of the things we sort of invested in quite a while, like the company structure, like our accountants, our brokers, solicitors, our CRM system. I know you're a fan of Podio. You were the one that mentioned that to us as well. Like, I think those <laughs> things are critical. Yeah, and just, I think our, our admin, our contracts, our digital way of doing things, a lot of that really, most people that deal with myself probably wouldn't have a clue whether I was based in America, England, UK. It has no relevance at that yeah. moment. Obviously, viewing properties, if it was just myself, I'd be limited to when I come back. And I'd probably use, I'd probably end up using a reliable source of someone in the UK. But Adam obviously does that part majority. And I do when I'm back. Um, and we don't self, we've, we've never self-managed properties until probably about a year ago when we set up our own lettings agency. But even to that, we have staff in that sense. So we don't self-manage it. Still, <laughs> yeah, so that has always been a, we don't we don't manage our own HMOs. We use a specialist HMO letting agency for that. Single lets we manage ourselves, and the commercial units a bit of both, depending what they are. So that's that's helped as well because again we can be anywhere with that that instance. Um, so yeah, it's 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 unusual, I suppose, but it's not it's not undoable. And I know there's a lot of people in the UK that say, 
well, I live here and I want to work in here. And even if someone's buying in the north of England, they live in London. It's a four-hour drive. It's a it's a plane flight. So it, everyone has those issues. You just got to work around it really and, and see what works for you and just commit to it. Really, it does mean you've got to lose some of your time. I travel a lot of nights, weekends. It's it's just a bit of a sacrifice at that point. <laughs> So do you mind me asking a little bit about how you met your business partners? Obviously a lot of people get into property on their own and then they decide that maybe they want to do it with someone else, kind of. Do you mind just sharing that? Yeah, well, Adam and myself have known each other for, oh, well, since, oh, they're coming on 20 years, actually. And oh, wow. my stone business <laughs> in the UK, back in the day when we first set that up and I actually moved into the first ever warehouse we had, I'd sort of convinced Adam at that point to uh, to stop his university course in biochemistry <laughs> that his mum and dad were not particularly happy about and um, come and join me, really. And then that was the year when I had a, I had a massive, you know, a little bit more, I won't go into detail, but I had a massive accident on, on my leg. I had a huge granite slab fall on my leg, so I was in hospital for probably 16 months, maybe, on crutches. Oh. And uh, yeah, so that's 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 when I met Adam. So Adam had like a ring of fire getting dumped into a business where I was not there and pulled him out of a university course. And then yeah, we've, we've we've known each other since then. So we've sort of been we've been business partners and working together since then. And uh, and then that that sort of moved into the property side. And yeah, it's just luckily I have a really good relationship on that. I think if people are looking at business partners, especially in property and so on. You definitely need to take your time because if you're buying a limited company like us, there's a lot of a lot of legal structure to it. There's a lot of tax implications. So I think you need to pick very wisely. It's not. I remember uh, a chap actually I met quite some time ago said to me, "You've got to treat it almost like a marriage because if something breaks, you you ultimately going to have to divorce yeah. the property and divorce the company." And it's yeah, it's it's something you really need to take time on. However, if it works. I think it's key. Like, obviously, you do stuff with your husband. I think having two of you is is undoubtedly better than one. It must be difficult for people doing it on their own, I'll be honest. Um, yeah, I'm glad I've got someone I can kind of <laughs> confide in, rely on, lean on. <laughs> yeah, I agree, I agree. I don't think it's... I don't think it's undoable on your own, but I just think you'd need to... You still probably need to network a lot and get some good people in certain parts yeah. of the business that can help you even just sporadically on, on once a month or whenever you need a bit of help. And there is a lot of people in property that will do that. We, we help people all the time. It's something we quite enjoy and it's not something we expect to, to get money out of or earn out. It's just because people helped us and we want to do the yeah. same. Really. Um, in regards to fun, so we've obviously touched on the investment slightly. Um, I want to just dig a little bit deeper. So obviously the main thing when people get started in property is I say, I can't find any investors. We haven't got any investors. I said this question. Um, you've I got, think we all said that. We all said that. Um, what? Because you've got quite a diverse range of investors, really, that do different things. Can you can you talk through about how you found them or how they found you? Um, yeah, we look very similar to you. I mean, all all of us. I think when you properly get involved in property, you start finding the deals, and then you start panicking that you can't fund them. <laughs> and you can there's only so much you can buy yourself and your own funds run out pretty quick if you're buying quickly so yeah i think that's a common thread for everyone and most of that really for me it's just a mental it's a mental block it's not really any issue that there's no money there there's there's loads of money there it's really just a mental block to get your head over the fact that don't panic you'll find it and i, I know people say that all the time if the deal's good you will find money but it is so true and i think also you just need to 
the way the, the way we changed it a little bit was just the way we marketed it a bit. We weren't really promoting ourselves looking for investors. We never really do that even to this day. Yeah. We, we had people contact us maybe that knew us from previous businesses or friends and family normally start cropping up. It's amazing how many of your friends and family have 50,000, 100,000, 200,000 sitting in just ISAs or banks earning, well, nowadays not even 1%. And <laughs> by the time you take inflation, they're probably losing money every year. So it's actually a really good chance to help a lot of people you know. And then it does work on from there. I think what probably one of the biggest things we did back in the day was we just changed the way we positioned it. So we actually gave our profit away, if that made sense. So instead of us saying, right, uh, we're looking for 100,000 investment and you can get a 10% return, that's the end of it, or 100,000 investment, we'll buy this house, we'll put a charge on it. We didn't really do that. We said, look, we, if you're going to invest in our business, it's a business loan. We do it for slightly longer, maybe two to three years. Yeah. And then we basically, within that time, give the profit of that property back to them. So it means we can give them much better returns, but it also means we can use the money two or three times within that time frame. So it gave us a lot more flexibility, gave the investor a bit more return. And for us at that, say we did a two-year term with an investor, we didn't need necessarily the profit out of that property yeah. for the two years because we have other, other income yeah. and other properties that generate income. And then after the two years, if the investor gets paid back or they stay with us, the property and the assets are ours then at that point. So we gain the asset long-term. So I think that was something we did a little bit differently back then. We just positioned it a bit more like, no, don't just invest with us and get a return, like take our profit almost. And it just was, it just seemed to, to work well, resonate with people a lot better. And I think the other thing was really just, just helping people a lot. We, yeah, like I mentioned just now, there was a lot of people we helped and they saw we were involved in property and then we just got involved in stuff, did a lot of networking back then, uh, did a lot of speaking as well. No, I'm nowhere near as much as you. I'm not, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm not into that as much as you. Way back um, to the UK, Steve. <laughs> maybe. I, I was joking earlier. I was looking at my newsfeed today and there was about 25 Laura Muse messages. Um, but yeah, we, we, we spoke a lot, like some of the PPNs and obviously there's other pins and stuff. A lot of those networking events are great. If you're good enough, if you're, like, you're, you're confident enough to speak, it's a great way to get out, network, get in touch with people. That worked a lot. We don't do as much of that anymore. We still do. And it's, it's still a nice thing to do to help. But Adam does quite a bit, doesn't he? Yeah, Adam does quite a bit. And even that, it, I think, like, you know, it, it's something you, you can do in peaks and troughs, depending on how busy your business is, because it, yeah. it does involve a lot of driving around the country and late nights and where you're going. So it, it does depend on how your business is going. Um, and another thing we did a few years back was we started looking into the, the whole pension thing a little bit earlier than most. And that's worked quite well for us. So the SAS pension. Yeah, SAS specifically. We have quite a few investors that, that actually use their SAS pension funds with us so yeah. and it's it's a huge a huge sort of area that's really a bit untapped in property where a lot of the people with sasses are property guys anyway or ladies and they really have good chunks of money that they they need to lend and need to earn good money on whether that's buying commercial property or lending it as a business loan so that we started doing maybe a little bit earlier than most and that's something we really do do get quite used to now we're used to the paperwork used to the the way it works and and we're quite known as that yeah but that's mainly on commercial, isn't it, just for the people listening? Because maybe people who are listening don't know how you can utilise a SAS. Well, there's, yeah, I mean, there's obviously it's very different depending on what people's SAS are. But in general, 50% of your SAS, you could buy a commercial property, but they would need a charge. But the other 
other 50%, which is probably untapped, is they can lend that as a business loan. So they can lend that to our business as a business loan and get a return on it. What we do with that, whether it's property or not, is, is irrelevant to the SaaS. So, yeah, and some of those people also can lend it to their own businesses if they have their own business. So, yeah, it's a really good... I mean, in a normal pension fund, if you earn 3 or 4% a year, you'd, you'd be over the moon. So if they can lend money to a business and get 10 15% return a year, it's, it's unbelievable. So it's a really good... That's a good sort of pool of investors for us, as it were. And that, again... These recommendations there, there's quite a niche amount of people that, that follow on to each other in that group so your top three tips for people looking for funds what would they be number one you need to tell everyone what you're doing and get out there you know that more than anyone <laughs> so uh yeah you've, you've got to just tell people what you do and not be not be afraid to just show what you're doing you don't need to sell at all so yeah number one is just get out there number two is is actually ask for the money like it's very, very rare people actually say to people, I've got this, have you got a hundred grand? Yes, let's do a deal and do it. Just, you, you've got to get to that point of saying, yeah, let's ask for the deal. Um, and I think three, probably find a way that you, you I hate the word sell, but sell your idea. It's got to work in a slightly different way. Don't always look at the just standard fixed return or a charge on a property that doesn't that doesn't always work and it doesn't need it. That isn't always the best thing for you. And it actually, for the investor, it's not always the greatest either. So probably do something a little bit different. Think outside the box. Hmm. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying not to use that phrase. Oh, well, I've just used it. <laughs> I'm right down. The conversation just come down. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to talk about it. I'm going to have to talk about COVID-19. Um, how it's affected you in your business sorry <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, yeah no uh, we have to there's no way you can get around the subject at the minute is there really so yeah. I think I think firstly for us when obviously the news came out and we we took it quite seriously and we we could I think everyone could see it was going to go one way we pretty much straight away just focused on getting hold of the tenants speaking to our tenants communicating with the tenants um, on all the levels, our commercial ones, residential. And it was more about, right, this is what's going on. This is what we can do. This is what we can do to help you. If you need help from here, we can help you get that. This is your other options. This is what the government can do for you. So initially we were quite quick to send out phone calls, emails, give all our tenants information on, look, we're, we're here to help. But on the flip side, this isn't just about free money for three months because I don't get free money, so it has to it has to balance for everyone. So we were quick to get information out and also to help anyone that needed it. Our our single lets, to be fair, haven't haven't really changed. There's not not been much issue. To I was honest. I was having and people who say single lets is not a good strategy. I think in this time is a hundred percent proved. It's probably the most rock solid one. Very true. I, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that's a. A very good point because they're normally quite settled families they're not moving they're, they've got no intention of moving and so yeah like, like you say they're quite secure in the time we have single let wise the only issues we've got are ones maybe that were mid-flow so we had sort of one that completed just when covid kicked in and that should have been say a two-week refurbishment it's probably yeah. dragged on for seven weeks because of uh, materials and labor and stuff and that's in an apartment block so it had a few other issues so that's been a bit of an issue yeah. we had we had one we completed on actually only two or three weeks ago, which was delayed because that should have happened ages ago and just solicitors and lenders have been ages. And now 
getting into the property is a bit of a, tr a, a tricky, but it's getting easier. So that's been affected. And also we've got uh, a tenant that moved out. So we had a vacant property and that's probably a bit slower to fill. And one other that we're trying to fill is a bit slower to fill. And some of our agents aren't working still. And if they're, it's a bit tricky with that because if they're not independent and they're on furlough, they're not really allowed to work whether they want to, which is, is a bit frustrating to say the least because we use them to let our properties. So in terms of what we have rented, not much effect. The ones in the middle that are this sort of awkwardish period, yeah, fine. It's it, it's a couple of months delay. It's not a big deal. HMOs, actually, ours haven't haven't fared too badly to be honest. Everyone, what type of tenant do you have though, Steve, in your HMOs? We, we usually have, all of our HMOs in our areas. None of them have en suites, so they're not they're not professional level. They're usually blue collar workers. So. Yeah, we normally have a lot of sort of retail workers, factory workers, industrial workers, or younger people that have just moved out. And touch wood, they seem to, it seems to be very normal at the minute. We have a normal cycle of people coming in and out. A bit more tricky to fill any empty rooms at the minute, just with, with viewings, but nothing more than that. They haven't been too bad. Probably the biggest thing we've been affected is our commercial stuff, really. So retail shops, yeah. any of our retail shops, obviously they're all shut. Um, and some of our office blocks and serviced office blocks, especially one one serviced office block, we have maybe three recruitment companies in there. Oh, so okay. obviously recruitment is is almost non non-existent at the minute. So those sort of tenants we have helped quite a bit. We've offered a lot of them either the choice of say fifty percent rent for three months mm -hmm. or a payment holiday for three months, but then they would need to repay that yeah. on the rest of their term. And then a few of the ones in our service offices. So one of the recruitment companies had three or four offices. He wanted to downsize to just one for the minute. So it was great. We let him do it and we helped him do that and didn't, didn't penalize the contract or stuff like that. Um, I think one of our retail stores, we've, we've worked out a bit of a deal in terms of they're not really paying rent at the minute. And when it comes to them opening, there is some work they need to do on the roof, which I think they're going to do. And we'll offset that against some of their rent. So we're just being a bit, a bit creative, really. I think the key thing for us as well was to keep cash flow on those properties. So for us, even though we maybe are given 50% rent off, which sounds a lot. Yeah, but something's better than nothing. A hundred percent. And I think also the tenants preferred that we keep some cash coming in. And also there's, I do think more commercial companies are going to struggle catching up more than they would paying 50% at the minute. So if we had a couple of tenants with four or five months left on their contract, they'd almost have to add another 50% every month to their rent to catch up, which I'm not sure it's going to be that feasible. I think it's probably easier for them to pay 50% now and carry on when they get open. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm quite optimistic in a sense. I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm not taking it as a negative. I think it's good to, I think it's good to stress test your, your properties and your portfolio as well and see where, where the gaps appear. Commercial wise, I think that's always the risk, but there's a, there's a higher, higher reward usually on those and then less hassle with the tenancy. So, when something crops up, fine, you can deal with the issue then at that point. Um, in your commercial, is there any brands or are they independents? Mainly independents. We do try and get brands or always. A lot of the time, if we're taking on a, a retail premises and we have some near high streets or just on a high street, yeah. we usually already go to some of the um, accuracy departments of uh, some of the big brands and just put the put the properties out right. there to see if the size is right this is right this is right but no not not all of them at the minute there's there's one we're looking at buying actually that one of the supermarkets i think was quite keen on um all right, okay. 
obviously if you can get a branded tenant on a remortgage helps massively it does help it really pumps up your valuation so that's always what we try but it's not always possible most of ours are independent so um, how do you see, obviously, something is going to happen in the property market? What is Steve Paddle's predictions? <laughs> <laughs> you can't put that on me. I, uh, no, what do, you, what do you think might happen? What's your, what opportunities do you think are going to arise? To be, to be honest, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic in, in a sense because we look at everything very long term. So yeah. for us, the property market in general, I'm not looking at this year, next year, I look at it as a hundred years. Like I'm not, I'm not selling my property ever. So I can only really look at data in the past. And you have these peaks and troughs and recessions and the UK property market is very strong. It's pretty stable. Ultimately there's still a supply and demand issue. So rent is very strong. Demand is very strong. I think, I think there's no two ways about it. There's going to be some sort of drop in the market this year. I, I can't see how there can't be just from a, a sentiment point of view alone regardless of whether property transactions go down. I think the amount of fear that's in the market is going to stop people buying. It's going to stop people looking. It might stall people. Maybe they won't stop forever, but they might just stall for a year or two. So those, those are going to have an impact. I don't, I don't think we've really seen a lot of it at the minute. I think oh, definitely sort of in not. This, no, we were sort of in this furlough sort of stage where, where I don't think really everything's bitten yet in the economy. And that will probably back end of this year, maybe early next year. I think we'll start no, to see that. We've already, some of our commercial stuff we look at and the bigger stuff, commercial agents are already ringing us saying people have pulled out or this is back on the market now and this. So some of the bigger ones we've seen people pull out, actual residential market-wise, I mean, the UK is, is so split anyway in general. London, you're, you're bound to see a bit of a drop because the prices are so inflated anyway, but that's, that's all relative. Um, and I think further up north in the Midlands where we are, probably it's always, it's always six to 18 months lag. So you probably won't see that till next year. Um, I did. There was quite a good report, actually. One of the auction companies did a while back. I posted, I think I posted it on my Facebook, actually, where they were looking at the history of property data with viruses over the last oh, right, okay. years. And actually, it showed very little property dip when there was a big virus. The only difference in this instance is there wasn't really ever a lockdown and there wasn't this whole stalling of the economy. So, I, I, yeah, I... I think I'd be pretty silly to not expect there to be some sort of dip. Am I worried about it? No, not even remotely. And it all, it all comes down to what you buy a house at. If you buy at the right price, the, the price in the next year or two is irrelevant to us. Even if we buy something now, we're looking at a minute and we probably will purchase stuff in the next month or two. Even if it dips five or 10% in the end of the year, it's not going to affect us. We would have bought it at the right price and long-term it doesn't affect us and the cash flows there anyway. So I think from that point of view, I would say don't don't back out. Keep like I said earlier, don't deviate. Like, we don't deviate at all. We try not to sort of uh, like a steam train. <laughs> yeah, and I think sometimes you can listen to too much noise and too much news and just just the. There's a lot of scaremongering going on, and I think that's what I've found, especially in the last few weeks, is people have either taken it and are pushing the businesses forward, or have completely retreated. Um, yes. There has been a definite divide between people. Um, but yeah, what's your thoughts on going forward with serviced offices? Do you think it's going to be a bigger opportunity for people to get involved in them? Yeah, well, funny enough, I'm, I'm actually quite optimistic that that will our, our units there will be pretty full actually in the next couple of months. Usually, after the last recession, actually a building we bought in December, 
the guy who owned it had it after the last recession. And he said, actually, the two years after that was his best ever period to date. Because I think after a bit of a recession, I mean, we've been expecting a bit of a recession. It's sort of due really last year, maybe this year or next year. And then Brexit held it off and maybe this will stem it. I don't know how bad it will be, but usually in those times, you normally get offices downsizing. I think companies that have stock, staff, big premises, big warehouses, these are the times when they think, wow, the, those fixed overheads are too high almost. So I think the service I think as well what it has proved is that actually people can work from home and still be productive. Obviously, a lot of businesses never let the staff work from home, fear of them not doing what they say they're going to do. But actually, exactly. this has proved people probably can be, if not more productive at home, and it's yeah. saving the business money. So my personal point thought is I think there's going to be more demand from businesses closing what they've got and and using serviced offices for, for the staff. Yeah, I think so. I think there'll also be um, probably, a, I hate to say it, but I think some of the sort of more creative strategies will come back. So like lease 100%. options, rent to rent, maybe delayed completions or assisted sales, things like that. I mean, lease options, I'm a massive fan of if they're done in the right way, as long as people don't abuse them, as long as your morals are correct and you've got an intention to buy it and you're doing it for the right reasons. And I think, yeah, I think some of those things are definitely going to kick in end of this year. And that. so so people, if they've done them previously, will be great. This will be a great time for that. And anyone that's not done it, it'd probably be wise to to get some knowledge and get some training on that, I think. And also a lot okay. of the a lot of the older landlords that have been bailing out or pulling out of their portfolio because of the tax reasons the last few years, this this probably is the last nail in some of their coffins to just get rid of stuff because they've they've earned their money and they're fine. They just want to they just don't want that. Well as of it was April this year, this year that it came into full effect into section yeah. twenty four. So really, I mean, they were in lockdown when this happened. Yeah, exactly. So I think that I think we'll probably see a few more portfolios come on, not massive sort of five to 15 property portfolios. I think we'll get a lot more options to buy those, which we like. And then, yeah, I think lease options. We don't do a massive amount of rent to rent, but I think that's a good option for people. We do do delayed completions and we have done assisted sales before. They're quite good. Um, I probably prefer lease options because you do own the property eventually, yeah. whereas the others you normally sell it. But yeah, I do think, I think the market will be fine next year. I think it'll pick back up, but I do... I do imagine some dip this year, early next year, and I think different parts of the country are going to get affected very differently. Cool. So, Steve, what is next for you? <laughs> um, probably four things. Continue cool. to help others. Property, <laughs> probably number two. Uh, some consultancy more, number three. And uh, SAS pensions, probably number four. So... Cool. Uh, yeah, I think helping people, we always like doing that anyway, like that, especially when I'm back probably full time in the UK. That's something I really enjoy myself and them, both on a property side and a business side. We always do that. That's something we really quite enjoy, to be fair, um, especially with people that really, you know, you know, I think we, we went skiing, actually, you and me earlier in the year, didn't we? And there was one chap on the ski trip who really caught everyone's attention, had that little spark in him. And he's a lot younger than us. And um it's definitely like it's definitely going great guns <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it's people like that where you see that i see a bit of me in him when i was that age and i think god if i if i'd known this back then i'd be yeah. blind so i love <laughs> working with people like that where they've got a real desire and a real like inner in a little yeah. bit to them that you can work with property 100 percent. i mean we i love i love property in general i love buildings i like buildings in general i think we've got our 
goal is is, is 20 million portfolio by the end of 2022. So it's pretty, yeah, pretty big task for us on that. We're probably at about four and a half now, or four and a half million, something like that now. So we wanted to really ramp that up this year by another three or four million, but I don't know what's going to happen with completions now because everything's delayed. But yeah, next year and the year after, we want to crank that up. We'll still be buying single lets. I think we'll probably... Oh, just that was my question. Is that through commercial or...? No, uh, everything really. At the minute, most of the stuff we're looking at is a bit more commercial. So it's blocks of apartments, um shop we're doing a lot of shops with flats we we really do like those they work quite well especially if the shops are small and commercial in a sense of industrial estate small trade units so that is definitely a focus for ours single lets will probably continue to buy at least one a month continually we, we always do um there was one we bought last week actually that that actually came off i think um so that will carry on buying but yeah the majority i suppose bigger deals we will we haven't really done too many new builds of houses so i think we will try that but not for a year or two we'll probably do a new build apartments again this year maybe next year and houses probably the year after well if you want to come to sheffield (laughs) new build opportunities there you go you're trying to sell me your new builds already (laughs) and then uh, i was just trying to think what else would i say yeah um, you mentioned consultancy. I do, I do a small amount of that with, with businesses and property, whether it is or not. I enjoy that anyway. And again, that's not really something I do for monetary purposes, more to, to really give people a, like my knowledge that I didn't get, if you know what I mean, and try and help people on their journey a little bit. Um, and yeah, I mentioned SAS pensions earlier from an investor's point of view. And SAS pensions is something actually from my own personal point of view that, that is something I'm going to, it's such a powerful tool. So I think our our own like family SAS pension will be set up by the end of the year, and that is something I'm really going to focus on the next couple of years. I think anyone with a with a business or a property business and another business, I think they really it's a really great thing to get involved in. If you if you see the power of how much you can put and the tax advantages to it as well, it's a huge huge platform that not not a majority of people are on yet, and it's there's still not a massive amount of information at the minute. I think there's one or two books and one or two groups and courses, but not much, but it's such a powerful tool in terms yeah, of... Yeah, we looking into SaaS. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, you can, even if you've got a, a business with a property, you can buy the property, rent it back to yourself. Profits can be tax-free. You can put 40000 a year into it, each each director or each person, depending on your tax statuses. So it's a great, yeah, it's a real... That's something I'm going to focus on heavily, really, from my own point of view, because probably similar to you guys up there like i've been self-employed for 20 years or so like really these sort of things are set up for my family and my kids and that's really my main goal is my legacy what i leave there my my pension really is property so it's it's all built around that isn't it (laughs) well steve thank you so much for your time today i really really appreciate it no thanks for your time as well great to speak to you